In reality, the great majority of the lost look far different from us. Think about the lost that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul talked about those who were lost. He said in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here we find somebody went, they, they sought and saved the lost. Well, what were they like? And they were lost. They weren't religious. They didn't look remotely like Christians. They were the sexually immoral, drunkards. Some of them practiced homosexuality. They were idolaters. Some of them were thieves, shoplifters. Some of them were greedy and covetous. Some were revilers. That means they actively spoke out against spiritual things. Some were swindlers. I mean, these are the lost. These are the people that we're supposed to be seeking and saving. These are the people that we're supposed to be going after. But let's face it, these are the people that most of us want to stay away from. We would be aghast if our children spent any time with these kind of people. And yet, these are the very people Jesus came into the world to save. These are the very people that He has given us the mission to go out and find and teach the Gospel so that they won't be lost anymore. So that they'll be like these Corinthians, so that we can say to them, you were once like this, but now you've been justified, you've been sanctified, you've been glorified, you've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. These are the lost that we're supposed to be finding. We need to ask ourselves, who are we more like in this story? Are we more like the Pharisees who are so afraid of being defiled by the lost and so afraid of having our reputation ruined by being around the lost that we have, number one, forgotten that we too are sinners and forgotten that our job is to save the lost? Or are we more like Jesus who is so concerned about saving the lost that He's not worried about His reputation among those who aren't out there saving the lost? I mean, the fact is, the only ones that were upset at Jesus because He was there with the sinner were the ones that weren't worried about saving the lost. I think perhaps at times we might need to post Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, someplace where we can read it every day. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you, he's talking to you, every single one of you, he's talking to me. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was us. I don't care if you were brought up by Christian parents or you just wholesale out in the world. This is us. This is where we were. Just like all those sinners out there that we don't want to spend much time with because we're afraid they might rub off on us. Jesus says the object of our mission is the lost. 
You know, I think about this, and I think about how many times I've been in Bible classes or in discussions with people, and they bring up that question about going into a bar. <coughs> you know, we shouldn't jump to conclusions, I've often heard, because we see a brother going into a bar, and maybe he's not going to drink. Maybe he's going because he had a flat tire, and that was the closest phone. We need to, we need to give him the benefit of the doubt, I've heard. Or maybe he's going in there because he's got a family member that has a drinking problem, and, and he's going to bring him out. Here's the thing that occurred to me. I have never once heard in any of those classes or any of those discussions, somebody said, you know, maybe he's going in there because he's seeking and saving the lost. Why don't we ever say that? Because I think we don't think like that. But our job is to seek and save the lost. And we have to come to grips with that. I'm, I, guys, I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you. I'm not up here saying, oh, y'all need to be more like me, seeking and saving the lost. Because I struggle with this just as much as anybody. But we've got to come to grips. Our job is not just to get in our holy huddle here on Sundays and be with the saved and help them out. Our job is to get out there and be with the lost so that we can find them and save them. What are we supposed to do with the lost? The first thing he says we're supposed to do is we're supposed to seek the lost. We're supposed to actively go looking for the lost. We're supposed to be finding the lost. I fear that we actually spend more of our time hoping the lost will find us. We put out a sign. We put ads in the newspaper. We put something on the TV or in the radio. And I think those are all good. And I want us to do those things. I've asked for those things. And I hope we can do those things. But brethren, we've got to understand when we've done those things, we must not think we have done the job of seeking the lost. Certainly not like Jesus did. Jesus didn't set up shop, put out a shingle and say, I hope the lost can find me. Jesus went out and found the lost. so that He could save them. We're supposed to be seeking the lost. One of the things this means is that we need to open our eyes to the lost that are around us every day. You know, it's really not hard to find lost people. They're everywhere. We come in contact with them everywhere. The Bible says that most people are lost. Most people are still in sin. So this really isn't a hard job for us. We need to just open our eyes to the lost people with whom we come in contact. I always think about John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And we know what Jesus said to her and all that happened between Jesus and that woman. But one of the things that most amazes me is you remember that Jesus was actually alone at the well. Do you remember why? Jesus was alone at the well because he had sent his apostles into the city, which was Sychar, to go get some food and bring it back because they were hungry and tired. Now the apostles went into that city they bought some food, they came back out to Jesus and didn't say one thing to anybody in that city about Jesus. They were just busy thinking about getting the food. However, this woman comes out to the well, she goes back into the city, and according to verse 30, notice what happens when she comes back. In verse 29, let's back up there. So the woman left her water jar, excuse me, 28, and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. The apostles went into that same town and nobody came out to see Jesus. But this one woman goes back into the town and most of the town comes back to see him. What's the difference? The apostles didn't have their eyes open to all the people around them that needed Christ. 
They just saw a bunch of Samaritans, and they were on a mission to get some food. But this woman saw people who needed to know about this Christ, this one that she thinks might be the Christ outside the city. And she went back and talked to him. You see the difference? Her eyes were open to the people who had the need. How many, how many lost people do we come in contact with? How many lost people do you work with, go to school with? How many lost people live in your neighborhood that you see every day? How many lost people do you meet when you're at Walmart or at the bank? I mean, they're all around us. And are we being the apostles or are we being the Samaritan woman? We've got to open our eyes. The second thing this means is is we've got to go find them. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were fishermen. He said, you follow me and I will make you, what was it? Fishers of men. Now, I'm not much of a fisherman. I mean, I'm just, I'm really not. I've tried that, but, you know, that whole business of having to be quiet and sit there all day long, I just can't, I can't do that. It's just, I know that surprises you, but it's just, that's just the way it is. So I'm, I'm, I know David's a fisherman, so I'm going to rely on David. David, when you want to catch some fish, where do you go? Go to the lake. You don't go to my backyard, do you? I mean, you, know, I mean, you, you can't cast your net off my back porch and expect to catch many fish. Or even David's back porch. You go to the lake. Why do you go to the lake, David? That's where the fish are. Now, for those of you who are fishermen, you go to the lake, but let me ask you this, David. Are there some spots in the lake that you know fish bite better? Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, You know, I mean, here's the thing. You get out to one part of the lake. Now, of course, I know some people that they just do it for the recreation, and they like to sit around and be quiet all day long, so they're not worried if the fish are biting. I can't handle that. (laughs) But if you actually want to catch fish, you get out to one spot and you've been there for an hour or so and nothing's bit. What do you do? You move. Where do you go? Go to another spot because you think the what's there? You think the fish are there. Yeah, you know, I mean, just think about that. If we're supposed to be fishers of men and we're supposed to seek the lost, where are we supposed to be going? Where the lost are. You know, that may mean we go have a dinner with somebody in our neighborhood who's lost. You know, maybe that means we go to the block party where we're afraid to... Maybe some things... And, and I, I'm not saying all of them. Maybe some of them will get into drinking parties that we're not supposed to be involved in. But, but you know, the fact is, if we're going to go seek the lost, we've got to go where the lost are. You know, that means we've got to go find the people who don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't talk like us. They may not even like us. They might even be our enemies. Some of their sins might even be against us. But that's still who we're supposed to be seeking. You know, one of the things I think about is that according to Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, if Christ could die for us while we were still sinners, I think the least we could do is go look for some sinners to take the gospel to and let them know about that message even while they're still sinners. 
Our job is to seek the lost. So my question to you is, who are you looking for? You know, sometimes I think we're trying to look for the people that are only one step away from being saved. They've already started thinking about spiritual things. And, and in fact, they've already walked through our door. And hopefully, they're already almost there, and all we've got to do is show them Acts 2.38, boom, they're baptized. Seeking the lost means the lost in, in the entire spectrum and doing what we can to prompt them to think spiritually. Looking for them. Our job is to seek and look for the lost. But then our job is also to save the lost. Now we need to make one caveat here, and we need to understand that this is the one part of this equation that technically we can't do. We can't save the lost, and we need to remember that. First Corinthians chapter three points that out to us. In First Corinthians chapter three, beginning at verse five, it says in First Corinthians three and verse five. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. God is the one that saves people. But you notice from this text that God saves people through the opportunities that he provides his workers. Paul says, Apollos and I, we were just, we're just the people who, excuse me, happen to have the opportunity to talk to you. But God was the one who saved me. So I understand that, that we don't actually do the saving, but God does save people through our planting and our watering. And so what does that mean we have to do? We have to plant and water. Romans chapter 10. <coughs> Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. Romans 10 and verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Excuse me. How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God works through us as we go out into the world. People can't believe unless they've heard. They can't hear unless we're talking. And so, if we're going to seek and save the lost, there's only one way to do it. We've got to be teaching them. And I recognize, and I appreciate in the Bible classes that we have in the discussions, as, as somebody points out, that sometimes we teach through example. And I think what we need to realize is that we don't teach through example so much as we attract attention through example. We open the door to be able to teach through example. The fact is, I have yet to meet somebody out in the world who knew they were supposed to get baptized for the remission of their sins because they worked with a Christian and saw how he or she lived every day. But I have seen lots of people out in the world who have seen how a Christian lived and they became interested in why they're different. I have seen that. But we need to understand that. The example doesn't teach the gospel. The example merely attracts attention so they're open to us teaching the gospel. If we're going to save people, we actually have to teach them the gospel. We've got to be talking. We've got to open our mouths and talk to them about things. There's, there's all manner of things that we can do. You can invite them to assemblies and classes and they'll be taught here. You have home studies that you invite people to. You have one-on-one -on -one studies. You can have conversations with people. And it doesn't really matter to me how you get that started. You can ask people, well, what do you know about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Him? You can talk to people and ask them, hey, do you ever read your Bible? Would you like to read it with me? 
You can try to take conversations like Jesus did with the woman at the well and turn it to spiritual things. You can drop into your conversations spiritual things like, hey, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I got to spend time with Christians in our assemblies. And here's what I learned. It was great. And I'll, of course, always talk about it positively. You ever say, oh, man, I had to go to church. You know, that's not going to work. It really doesn't matter to me what approach so long as it's scriptural that you take. As long as we're doing something. As long as we're talking and getting that message out. Yes, God is the one who causes the increase. God is the one who causes the growth. But He does it through our planting and watering. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, how much planting and watering are we doing? Let's be honest with ourselves. If you were to sit down and divide up your week and see how you allotted your time, and I'm not saying I would come out great on this. I'm just asking us all to be honest with ourselves. How much time would we put in the planting and watering? Slot. Ten minutes? Five minutes? An hour? Two hours? Zero hours? God will give the increase when we plant and water. And I guarantee you this. When we plant and water, God will give the increase. God says His Word won't return to Him void. We're getting that Word out there. It'll turn some people off. But it'll turn some people on. And we need to be seeking and saving the lost. We need to ask ourselves this question. We need to just be very honest. Maybe we need to put this on our, on our dashboard in our car and on our mirror in our bathroom so that we see it every day. Seeking and saving the lost. How are we doing on that? How are you doing on that?